welcome to the markets. Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, March 22nd. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson with our weekly look at market activity on Wall Street and in the agricultural commodity community. We'll talk the agricultural markets in a few minutes as Max Armstrong visits with Brian Basting of Advanced Trading at Bloomington, Illinois. But as we look at Wall Street, we begin with the numbers to end this trading week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 453 points, ending the day and the week at 25,509. The S&P 500 down 54 points at 2,800.81. And the NASDAQ closed down 194 points, ending the week at 76.44. For the week, the S&P fell three quarters of a percent. The Dow lost one and a third percent. And the NASDAQ down a little more than half a percent. The Dow and the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ closed with the biggest one-day percentage decline since January 3rd. So let's look at some of the reasons as we check the story on today's week-ending trade. The Dow Jones, as we said, down sharply. All three major indices posting their biggest one-day percentage decline since January 3rd as weak factory data from the United States and Europe and Japan led to an inversion of U.S. Treasury yields, fueling fears of a global economic downturn. A weaker than expected reading of U.S. factory activity in March, along with similarly sour reports from Europe and Japan, helped to send U.S. Treasury yields into an inversion with the spread between yields of three-month Treasury bills exceeding those of 10-year notes for the first time since 2007. And an indication of near-term risk, seen by many as a potential harbinger of recession, the inverted Treasury yield curve seemed to confirm investor fears of a global slowdown in economic growth. And to some extent, one trader said what's going on with the yield curve has been exaggerated. That's according to Bernard Beaumont, managing director of the Economic Outlook Group in Princeton. He said, I would not leap to the conclusion that a recession is imminent. But he did warn against complacency. He said there are some real clouds that are forming on the horizon. The question is, how dark are these clouds going to be? And will they trigger a recessionary storm? Now, earlier this past week, the U.S. Federal Reserve concluded its two-day monetary policy meeting with a statement that forecasts no additional interest rates in 2019 on signs of economic softness, a dovish shift that that took the markets a little bit by surprise. Interest rate-sensitive financial firms fell 2.8%, capping their worst week since the late December sell-off. Nike shares today dipped 6.6%, 
after the sportswear company's North American sales fell short of estimates and luxury retailer Tiffany said it expected earnings growth to resume in the second half of the year and affirmed its fiscal 2019 targets. That sent Tiffany shares up a little more than 3%. Electric automakers Tesla down 3.5% following a research note from Cowan that saw U.S. soft demand for the Model 3 until release of the company's lower-priced model in the second quarter. And Boeing Company had a difficult week, a tough week, with the plane crash of the two 737 MAX Boeings in a five-month period. Today, the Boeing Company stock lost 2.8% because Indonesian airline Garuda canceled a $6 billion order for the company's 737 MAX planes, citing customer fear in the wake of the Ethiopian Airlines crash. Netflix dropped 4.5%, coming on the eve of Apple's launch of a rival streaming service on Monday. And uh, looking at the uh, oil situation for the week, the price of oil today dipped again from 2019 highs on demand worries. The Brent crude futures settled at $67.30 a barrel, down 83 cents, 1.2% below their last close, and about down two-tenths of a percent for the week. The global benchmark has risen by more than 20% since the beginning of January, that coming because of supply cuts by OPEC, the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries and allies such as Russia and U.S. sanctions on Iran and Venezuela. And U.S. crude down 94 cents a barrel ending the week at $59.40 a barrel. The U.S. crude marked a 2019 peak on Thursday at $60.39, and for the week was up eight-tenths of a percent. So now let's take a look at what's ahead for the week coming up. Here's the story. An American delegation led by Treasury Secretary Stephen Munchen and U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer will visit Beijing for two days beginning on Thursday for another round of trade negotiations with Chinese Vice Premier Liu He. The resumption in face-to-face talks And that comes as the first one since President Trump delayed a March 1st deadline to raise tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese imports. To some traders, marked an acceleration of the negotiations aimed at ending an eight-month trade war between the world's two largest economies. U.S. Senate Commerce Subcommittee on Aviation and Space scheduled to hold a hearing on aviation safety on Wednesday after the two fatal Boeing 737 MAX aircraft crashes since October. Ride-hailing company Lyft, Incorporated scheduled to list its shares on the NASDAQ on Friday. 
The company aims to raise up to $2 billion in its initial public offering at a fully diluted valuation of as much as $23 billion, including restricted stock. On Thursday, the final estimate of third quarter gross domestic product by the Commerce Department likely to report that the economy grew at a 2.4% annualized rate. Friday, it will likely say consumer spending grew three-tenths of a percent in January. The trade deficit report will be out. They expect it to show the trade deficit narrowed to $57.5 billion in January. That would be down from $59.8 billion in December. Another report from the conference board will say on Tuesday, consumer confidence index rose to a rate of 132 in March, up from 131.4 in February. On Tuesday, the Commerce Department scheduled to report building permits likely rose to a rate of 1,300,000 units in February. And it's also expected to report housing starts, which likely dipped to a rate of 1,218,000 units. Another report on Friday expected to say that new home sales grew to an adjusted rate of 619,000 in February, and that would be up from 607,000 in January. And then on Thursday, our, I guess our final look at the housing industry for the week, the National Association of Realtors expected to report pending home sales went up three-tenths of a percent in February. And, of course, on Thursday, the Labor Department expected to say that initial claims for state unemployment benefits rose to 225000 in the week ended March 23rd. On the report scene, Carnival Corporation expected to report an increase in first quarter revenue on Tuesday, helped by an increase in bookings. However, the cruise operator's profits may be pressured by rising costs and the weakening of foreign currencies. Investors will also pay close attention to the company's comments on demand in China and Europe. PVH Corporation expected to report an increase in fourth quarter profit on Wednesday, helped by strong demand for its Tommy Hilfiger line of apparel. However, investors will pay more attention to the initial results of the restructuring of the company's Kelvin Klein basis, which suffered from fashion misses in the previous quarter. Accenture is expected to pose an increase in its second quarter profit and revenue on Thursday as the outserving services firm reaped the benefit of its investments in digital and cloud services. Investors will be on the lookout for updates on its new CEO. And as usual, many of the governors of the Federal Reserve will be on the road appearing at meetings and uh, giving some of their views on the economy. And finally, on Monday, Apple set to give details about the long-awaited subscription television services at an event at the Steve Jobs Theater in Cupertino, California, 
after years of hints and signing major stars such as Oprah Winfrey, Apple expected to give key details about how it will price and distribute its television service, which investors hope will help fill a financial void that's been left by falling sales of the iPhone. So that's what's ahead. And what about the agricultural world? Still at the, uh, at the whims of the talks between China and the United States on trade negotiations. And so Max Armstrong will sit down with Brian Basting of Advanced Trading in Bloomington, Illinois, when we continue on the markets. Brian Basting is with us this weekend. Advanced Trading, Bloomington, Illinois. Good to see you once more. Good to see you, sir. Well, some folks are thinking planting, and some are really wondering how in the world they get from here to there because of the disaster in the Plain States. Let's talk about that right off the bat here. I know you work with a lot of elevators, do you not, with a lot of grain dealers? And and what are they telling you about this dislocation, what's happened out there with grain movement in and out of that region they're in uh, Nebraska and Missouri, and I guess South Dakota's affected some too, Minnesota. Fill us in. Well, first of all, Max, certainly we want to extend our heartfelt, uh, you know, uh, our hearts go out to all those folks out there. It's been a tough, tough couple of weeks here, and uh, you see on the news some really devastating situations. So we certainly hope that that can get uh, cleared up as soon as possible. But it's really a, a, um, a one-day-at-a-time approach, I think, at this point. There's a lot of a lot of challenges out there right now, uh, whether it be livestock and or grain. And I think um, we're just going to have to see what, what emerges here. But uh, uh, generally, the focus has been on Nebraska, but we don't want to forget the folks in western Iowa or parts of Missouri or South Dakota or now um, with a uh, concern about the snow melt up in North Dakota, too. So uh, really a big challenge out there right now. Ethanol plants can't get corn in, I guess, in some instances. They can't get rail cars in to load out product, and because of that, I understand distillers' grains aren't getting to some of the cattle feedlot operations that need it. It's really a challenge right now. I, I just saw a, a clip on the wire the other day of of a um, producer out there, a hog producer, having to transport his uh, grain via boat to get to his uh, facilities there, and I think you're just going to have to hang in there and uh, do what you need to do right now to keep those animals as fit as possible, and and just take it one day at a time. But certainly hope that, that things will clear up. Uh, don't need any more additional rain or snow now. Of course, then there's the loss tally of animals, which some people are wondering about. Uh, we've, we've heard some big numbers thrown around. And some folks are questioning the size of the numbers that have been uh, put out of the public press. But I guess we have yet to get our arms around any of that. Yeah, it's just too early. I think we're just going to have to be uh, patient and, and really let this uh, counting, if you will, take place and, and see, obviously, those folks who are directly affected are devastated. Uh, market-wise, it's something the market's well aware of, obviously, at this point, uh, particularly, in, for example, what's going on in the hog market right now. But uh, I think the cattle market is the one most directly affected in that region. Let's talk about the grains. I mean, this is important geography for grain production. Parts of the number one and three corn-producing states in America, a lot of soybean production comes out of that region. There's been very little market reaction, correct? To this point, there has not been a lot of market reaction. Uh, I would add, though, that today the U.S. or the National Weather Service came out with their 30-day outlook for the month of April. This is their latest outlook. And for that region, i.e. western Iowa, uh, Nebraska, uh, South Dakota, it's cool in the month of April. 
And unfortunately, above normal precip, again, that's just a forecast, but that is the latest forecast from National Weather Service. So we'll see if the market starts to take a note of that, particularly as we get past the March 29th USDA reports. Is the market just so profoundly bearish that it, it, it's hard to move it with any news right now? I mean, you look at what is going on, again, in this important geography for grain production, you might have anticipated a little more reaction. I agree, Max. So particularly when you look at the corn market, anytime you're looking at a market that ending stocks, albeit each day it looks like they're going to decline modestly from last year, uh, whereas earlier in the year maybe a little more uh, of a decline. But right now the corn market is being weighed down by a very poor export market. Uh, last year at this point we were looking at a very uh, severe drought in Argentina. And also last year at this time we had a drought in double crop corn in Brazil. So we had a double supportive factor last year. This year, however, just the opposite. Looks like a record crop in Argentina. And the safrinha, the double crop corn in Brazil so far, looks very good. So we're not seeing that export business we saw a year ago, and the market's being weighed down. We get rumors and we get administration comments uh, from the podium and from tweets on an almost daily basis. And Wall Street gets whips around, whipped around by it, whipsawed by the news. Uh, markets, grain markets might move a little bit, but uh, is it to the point where we're getting kind of calloused to any kind of report of progress or any kind of report of a setback in terms of the Chinese negotiations. So, so the grain traders are just kind of taking it in stride right now. That's a real good summary. That seems to be the attitude right now. I think there's still a long-term hope that there is going to be something worked out there in regards to a trade agreement with China. But as you mentioned, it seems like it's being pushed back and pushed back. Um, again, I, I don't discount that possibility of something occurring, but from a market standpoint, and you hit the nail on the head, the market moves every single day, and if it doesn't get any information, um, the uh, momentum at the moment, for lack of a better word, is to the downside, particularly in the corn market. Uh, it has rebounded a bit here recently, but um, I think uh, once you get past those March 29 reports, we really want to see some some uh, activity on the trade front because at that point, obviously, we'll be in the field at that point, too. I thought it was a little sobering the other day when the, there was an indication from the White House that even if there is an agreement... The tariffs might stay on. He wasn't specific about which tariffs, but the president indicated, given the propensity for the Chinese to not adhere to agreements in the past, that the tariffs might stay in place. That That's chilling for anybody in the soybean business to hear, isn't it? It, it definitely is uh, something to, to be aware of because um, at this point we're looking at a big rebound in production in Argentina, and we're looking at a solid crop in Brazil so there is going to be substitute uh, supply, if you will, available as you move into summer and fall. Perhaps in the standpoint of Argentina, much more available supply than last year. So, um, yeah, anytime you hear that type of conversation, it's a little unsettling, for lack of a better word. Um, I think the other thing we're, we're, we're focusing on now is will there be enough time to turn around a trade agreement in old crop, or will this turn out to be more of a new crop issue? And that's a big deal because uh, right now, uh, the old crop market, I think, is gaining some support from the hope that there will be some old crop business, but that keeps getting pushed back into new crop. Old crop will feel heavy as you get into summer. Mm, very interesting. If there is an agreement, even if there is a bump up in price, might it be of uh, short duration? Simply because the, the whole fundamental picture will not have changed much. A very good summary. I think it will be a, a long talked about uh, possibility and when the realization occurs certainly could be worth a could be worth a shot in the arm but 
Uh, it's been talked about for so long, it won't come as a big surprise unless the quantities are a big surprise. Mm-hmm. I think that would be the, the issue to keep an eye on but uh, and the breakdown between old and new crop. But I think you, ra- you raise a good point. I think at that point, uh, whether it be in April or May or who knows when, um, weather will quickly move to the forefront and, and that will move to the back burner. But the phrase you used is a key one, it strikes me, shot in the arm. That could be a very brief shot in the arm that the farmer needs to seize and to take advantage of. A good point. I think anytime you talk about markets, sometimes you talk about opportunities being very fleeting. And uh, if we start to see, hopefully, the weather clear up at some point and, and you start to take away some weather premium in the market later this spring, um, that news, if you will, could be a brief shot in the arm, give the market a little bit of a pop, but it could be short-lived and that could be an opportunity to get some pricing done for remaining old crop and or new crop. Just ahead, the March 29th reports from USDA. That's usually a big report day. The planting intentions report is usually weighed heavily against expectations. This one's going to have some problem in in analysis, is it not, in terms of accuracy because of the timing of the survey? Yeah, it certainly will. That survey is taken by the USDA the first two weeks in March. So we're looking at a, a, a time period there where the flooding basically had maybe just at the tail end of that survey period, but the flooding really... It's taken place, the seriousness of it has taken place after the survey was completed. So we're really looking at some challenges there. The market may discount what that number is and approach uh, what more of an approach of what does the near-term forecast look like for April. Sometimes USDA will do special surveys if there is time to do so in, in a targeted area. Have you heard anything about that for, for the planting or prospective plantings report? I have not, but it's certainly a possibility this year. And, and they limit it maybe to a few states, four or five states, something like that? I would that, think perhaps. it would be the Nebraska, uh, Missouri, Iowa, and perhaps South Dakota in there, too. What's your assessment? While we're talking on this devastated area, talking about that eastern Nebraska area, western Iowa, Missouri, South Dakota, what is the likelihood for flooding elsewhere? I mean, I, I think of a, of a perennial flood region like the Red River of the North, for example, and the Wabash Valley of Indiana, and places where it seems like bottomland is often flood land, at least for a few weeks. How significant is the exposure elsewhere from what you know? There are two areas I'd, I'd highlight there. One is North Dakota and Minnesota. We don't want to forget that the snowpack up there is still quite heavy, and obviously we're, we're now nearly in the end of March, and we're looking at a time period here. When we turn over that calendar to April, you start to click the clock down in terms of planting corn and planting spring wheat. So that'll be something to keep a close eye on. The other thing is we, we don't want to forget the entire corn belt is wet, not near to the severity of what we're seeing in the western corn belt, obviously in the northern plains. But I think anytime you get into that window of planting opportunity from the 1st of April to Memorial Day, we really want to keep an eye on the fact we are not we don't have any experience in any significant dryness. And if you start to get some spring rains move in here, not only would those areas be vulnerable to some delays, but also some delays elsewhere. You know, even some some of the states we don't consider to be major corn and soybean producers have been getting a lot of moisture. Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, rains on, a, on an almost daily basis. So there is a lot of wet territory that should be in the midst of spring work rather soon. Yeah, some challenges also down in the south and parts right. of Louisiana, Arkansas, yeah. some challenges down there too. And uh, as you say, perhaps not the volume of acreage, but still very important in the scheme of things. And I think it's something that the market will take a close look at when we get into April. Nice to see you, as always. We appreciate your visit. Always appreciate visiting with you, Max. Visiting here in our studio, Brian Basting from Advanced Trading, Bloomington, Illinois.
So what else could you talk about agriculturally this week than the flooding? The flooding in the Midwest that now the governors of four states in the Midwest have declared states of emergency. And the Missouri River floodwaters expected to crest in northwestern Missouri later today, threatening more towns and cities after causing death and ruins and drowning livestock across the U.S. Midwest. Authorities going door-to-door, urging residents and businesses to evacuate as a siren blasted in a residential area in south, uh, southern St. Joseph, Missouri today. About 1,500 residents, some 6,000 employees were advanced to quit the area as water reached the top of a nearby levee. And we have seen a lot of levees breaking under the strain of the high floodwaters. The St. Joe Frontier Casino, any of you been there? It's about five miles to the north, was surrounded by water. And roadways along the river were underwater, according to officials. Meteorologists with the National Weather Service are saying that we really won't see the end of the flooding until May, and that as the waters move down the Missouri, down the Ohio, into the Mississippi, we'll find that there will be more flooding and many of the waterways will be hitting new crests. And then one trader said the biggest thing right now is the transportation. We're right between Loop and Cedar River, and transportation is nearly impossible. Officials in the city of Atchison, Kansas, 35 miles southwest of St. Joseph, watching flood monitors carefully today when the river was expected to crest at a record 31.6 feet. That's more than nine feet above flood stage. President Trump on Thursday approved a disaster declaration for Nebraska, making federal funding available in nine counties that had borne the brunt of last week's floods. And the director of NOAA's National Weather Center in Alabama, Ed Clark, said this is shaping up to be a potentially unprecedented flood season with more than 200 million people at risk because of the rising waters. That's been the story all week long. And now, taking over the story about the flooding and the problems it's causing is also the possible delay of planting season for the 2019 crop year. Because it's going to take a while for the waters to recede and then for the soils to dry enough so that planters begin rolling over the midsection of the country. All in all, it's not only been a tough winter, it's been an almost impossible spring for many farmers in the Midwest, upper Midwest states. Probably the most emotional scene that I saw on Facebook was the scene of a farmer in Nebraska with his tractor and a front-end loader trying to lift a newborn calf out of the water and the mud to save its life because the calf didn't have the strength 
to get out of the mud and the water. It was an emotional scene. And that's the other problem we're having with the flood situation. The emotional strain it's placing on farmers and their families, not only financially, but because they like their animals. And it's tough to keep going and recovering from something like this. So looking at the markets as we ended the week, uh, three times this week, the lean hog contract at the Mercantile Exchange hit the daily limit. And so we ended the week trading uh, at the $4.50 daily limit on live cattle. And the CME group also said that uh, the derivatives market uh, open interest reached a record 453,659 contracts on the 21st of March, surpassing the 450,000 contract record days, including the prior record. Growing open interest in their live cattle futures, they say, reflect the deep and robust markets for customers who are facing uncertain uncertainty for the cattle industry. And so they're turning to live cattle futures and options at the Mercantile Exchange. And we ended the week higher in livestock futures at the Mercantile Exchange. The grain market ended the week today on a higher note, except wheat. Wheat was lower, corn higher, soybeans lower. Again, that's our time. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson saying thank you for joining us on The Markets. Thank you.